0: Welcome to the Thrive Infertility podcast brought to you by the Quillett Institute, your mental health resource to support you during your season of infertility. We are here to help you thrive. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Thrive Infertility podcast. This is your host, Kathy Quillett, CEO of the Quillett Institute and of Tennessee Reproductive Therapy here in Tennessee. Um, I hope that, you know, by the time this airs, what's going to have just happened in your life is you're going to have just experienced Father's Day. And Father's Day comes with it its own traps and landmines emotionally like Mother's Day, doesn't it? We just kind of get past that one unscathed and finally, you know, the scars start to heal up because it's a hard day. And then uh, here it comes and it's Father's Day and you know, something I used to experience, and I know a lot of you probably do too, especially if it's female factor infertility, or there's some kind of miscarriage history going on here, is the pain of, I, I didn't get to celebrate myself on Mother's Day, and I'm also not making my husband a father. And so that's really painful. And so I hope that you were able on Father's Day Um, To give yourself a giant emotional squeeze and tell yourself that you're one heck of a fighter and that this story is going to be worth it. I want to start a series here um, on what I wish I would have told myself or what I wish I could tell myself 12 years ago when I was in the throes of infertility. Somebody asked me that the other day. We're sitting in session and she just said to me, She's like, you know, Calf uh, what do you wish you could have told yourself? And I've been asked this question before, but this one really got me thinking. And I I think there's a lot of people who try and give advice in this world who, um, have had a baby and that advice is not bad advice. Hear me when I say that, but my story didn't end happy. And so even more having the encouragement to you that, I am okay. And I'm not just going to say like, I'm okay. So you're going to be okay. Because I feel like that is condolences, right? Like just relax. It's okay. Well, at least you know, your body can get pregnant. All of these really trait things, which end up being really damaging. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to be that person in your life. That is the last person I want to be. There's enough people who are uninformed personally about the pains of infertility and loss. But what I do want, and I, and I hope this is an encouragement to you But if I could go back and tell Kathy 10 years ago, it was when, you know, just an overview, I'll give that in a minute. But if we were in the middle of our story and the growth and the healing I've done, but also how I'm able to help people, um, as a result of that story, I, you know, my husband and I were climbing in bed the other day and I was like, honey, isn't it weird? Like who would have thought I was already a therapist when we did infertility and loss. But never did I ever think that because of this really traumatic, difficult season in our life, I would have pivoted who I thought I was becoming professionally. I would have pivoted who, what I thought my, my passion and communicating with people and a place I love to sit with people was being in the middle of, of this. So my story for those of you who are like, hey, who's this Kathy chicken? What, what is she talking from? Um, I'll just give you a really quick overview and hopefully, you know, it'd be great if you could see yourself somewhere in it, but if you can't, then not everybody's story is the same. So we, uh, about a year and a half into marriage did, uh, we had a plan. Our plan just got thrown out the window, actually completely nothing about our plan actually ended up working out how we wanted, but that's okay. Um, so about a year and a half into marriage, I d- developed terrible gyne- gynecological pain and I had a hysteroscopy, laparoscopy, and found out that I had endometriosis everywhere. I don't know if my doctor just didn't stage it or if we just didn't stage it all those years ago, but for those of you who would want to know what stage my endo was, I can't tell you that. And so we ended up starting to try as an intervention for my endo. I do remember if we're talking about staging, my husband waking up and saying, Kath, I don't know what, what all is in your pelvis, but if it's down there, it's covered. Like even my pelvis, bladder, colon, everything, obviously the usual suspects um, were covered too. So um, our our treatment plan was trying to conceive and that we did. I never had a regular cycle in my entire life. That diagnosis will come later. Uh, as to why that was. And um, so eight months later, we actually found out that we were pregnant and we were elated and that baby was with us for 10 weeks and we grieved and we grieved and we were absolutely blindsided and devastated as so many people are. And then we started trying again and then I got the polycystic ovary diagnosis, uh, which was no surprise. We did Colomid, also what was in that part. And people wonder why I say this, but I also lost my gallbladder during this time. Um, And I obviously that has nothing to do with us trying to conceive. However, it took like three months off of us like doing the diagnostics and the testing and getting my cycle back and whatever. And so that three months felt like a really huge interruption. That's why I add it to my story as I tell it. And then uh, we got pregnant again, and we were pregnant for five weeks, got pregnant again, we were pregnant for six weeks, got pregnant again, and we were pregnant for seven weeks. One of my miscarriages actually bled into my uterus instead of out, so I had what's called adenomyosis, some people call it adenomyosis, potato, potato in my mind. And so I had a hysterectomy, a partial, at the right age of 32 and a complete hysterectomy, not a complete hysterectomy. I had what's called an oophorectomy, which is your ovary removal. Uh, however old I was in 2017. And so, uh, my story doesn't end with roses, but I'm going to tell you that my hard work and people are also like, What's the key to that? You guys, I wrote it, and I wrote out my healing journey in the form of my book, "Not Pregnant." I'll put it in the show notes. That was super cathartic in healing for me. That doesn't have to be your story. But I am somebody who has to make sense of everything when it happens to be able to provide closure. I have to look at it from every angle. I have to analyze every detail from every angle, and I have to deal with all of it too. So every piece from every angle, I also have to deal with it. And so not pregnant and the, the tears and the emotional catharsis that that was for me was super healing. I did work in addition to that, um, that has really brought me to this place in my career, um, as being a reproductive and maternal mental health specialist. Um, But so people will often say, as I said, I'm going to do this series. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I get asked all the time. So let's just do this. What would I tell myself if it was 10 years ago, knowing what I know now? So in a sense, what do I wish I would have done different? Okay. I'm just going to be super real and raw. This isn't going to be hypotheticals. This isn't like, oh, a client said and whatever. No, this is just me. Okay. So uh, I hope you'll appreciate and understand and show compassion for my raw um, and what I wish I would have done different. And hopefully, again, you will uh, find some uh, little nuggets of truth for yourself in this too. Because I also imagine, as I say this, everybody I know that's also done uh, infertility or loss at some point, uh, I picture like silent bobbing heads. Uh, Like, uh uh-huh, amen, hallelujah, I get it totally. So I think the first thing that I would do is if I could write myself a permission slip 10 years ago, I would have told myself, Kath, you know yourself best. It is okay to listen to your own voice. So I say this to you, it is okay to listen to your own voice. Here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you know how to treat your uterus and your endometriosis. Don't trust a doctor because they don't know me as well as I do. No. What that means is obviously yield to the professionals. But I think somebody would have said, you know, like it's not a big deal. And I would have thought it's not a big deal. Shame on me for thinking it's a big deal. Somebody could have said to me, you know, one of those trite, stupid, whatever. Well, at least you know your body can get pregnant. Just start trying again. It's not a big deal. And I thought, yep, that's truth, right? If somebody speaks it to me in the form of their really calloused, insensitive, seeming, ignorant, lucky to them, filler commentary, right? Because that's what it is, filler commentary. I would have said, you know what? You're right. Shame on me for experiencing the emotions that I'm experiencing. Shame on me for crying the tears that I have assigned to something that I felt like it was important to me. I am clearly wrong because others, maybe this is just my Enneagram too, other people are telling me that what I'm experiencing is not a big deal. So I must be wrong. I never allowed myself To sit with my own voice and say, This is really hard. Obviously, it's hard. I just lost a pregnancy or I just, you know, paid negative again for the 13th month in a row. Of course, this is hard. What I know now is we consider this to be a reproductive trauma and it's all sorts of terribly hard. It's so hard. But I wish I would have listened to my own voice and said, It's okay that this is hard because this is hard. It's okay that I consider it to be hard. I'm going to sit in my heart and I'm going to deal with my heart until I'm ready to get up from dealing with my heart. Even if somebody says this isn't hard, you know what? I didn't struggle with sex inside of infertility. Why are you? I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? No. Physical intimacy gets complicated. Physical intimacy becomes apathetic. It becomes a job. It becomes so difficult to enjoy because it's calculated. It's hard. Some of you are giggling like little schoolgirls, and I got you. <laughs> it is difficult to exist in this place. Now listen, here's where this extends to. Not just saying that infertility or loss is hard, but Maybe this is also just my Enneagram too, but, oh, I got a bridal shower invitation. I should go. Should is like my least favorite word. I've said it in here before, but my, I told a friend the other day, my biggest healing relationally has come in my life. No longer saying I should. There are some things obviously that you should do, like, you know, but like I should go to a baby shower, even though, um, I just lost a pregnancy. I threw a friend, a baby shower. She actually went into labor that day. Super early, hard story. Baby's good. Grown up now, whatever. Not grown up, but he's like 11. He's grown up now. I threw that for her. She went into labor that day. I still had the shower. She wasn't even there for her for it. I greeted her guests and whatever. Do you want to know what? I'd found out the day before. I had miscarried my baby. I threw her baby shower for her without her being there with a dead baby inside of me. Because you know what? I should. That's what it takes to be a good friend. Do you know what my voice said? My inner voice that knows me so well and that I know said, Kath, this is really too hard. She's not even going to be there anyway. Freeze the food and have the people drop off the gifts at your house. Wouldn't that have been the biggest nicest giant squeeze to myself? Wouldn't that have honored me in my story? Would have that been so much less traumatic if I had listened to my own voice? You know what I find, the longer I sit with people in the therapy spaces working through the the emotional implications of infertility and pregnancy loss is they know what they want. A lot of times people know the answer. They need my validation. And here's my validation to you is you know what you want. You know that sometimes planning a vacation sounds like the best Band-Aid. And you know sometimes that not planning that vacation feels like the best Band-Aid. You know where you need validation from other people or their thermostat to measure your emotions or what you should or should not do is arbitrary power that you're handing to somebody else that needs to be given right back to you. If you want to share it with your partner, whom is the person ideally that knows you best in this world and say, say, you know what? This is what it would have looked like for me for that baby shower when my friend wasn't there because she had the baby. Hey, babe. I don't feel good about this. I also don't feel about not doing it, but I think what's the best for me is that maybe I don't go. What's your thought about that? How am I being true to myself and how am I being a good friend? What do you think I need here? Because my my inner voice, my my person as a self is saying, wow, that's really hard. But here I am saying, wow, it's really hard. But I'm going because I should stop shitting on yourself. That's what I should have told myself. I gained no value in doing that. I wasn't a better friend for doing that. Anyways, listen to your own voice. I guess this takes me to number two. I don't have to do a whole nother episode about this because this really piggybacks on the point I'm saying. I wish I would have 10 years ago. I would have honored myself and my husband as a family of two. On our wedding day, they pronounced us Mr. and Mrs. Tyler Quillett, we became a family on that day. They didn't say Mr. and Mrs. Tyler Quillett who will become a family once they bring kids into their family. Nope. We became the Quillets. We're still the Quillets. We adopted two boys and brought them into the fold. So the Quillets has expanded, but we were a good family for like five years before we had any children. We were no less of a family. Here's the implication of that. They get to help you find your own voice, but also, they get to help you create boundaries around your own voice. I hear a lot, especially around the holidays, and in, <laughs> in our families, those are going to start getting planned out here soon, and so we're already brainstorming, like, what are we doing for the holidays this year? Because typically we're people who travel. Last year, my answer was, "If people want to come see us, people want to spend the holiday with us?" They can come to us. They know where to find us. That's not bitter. That was my boundary because that worked for my family. A lot of times what I hear is, well, we're the only one that doesn't have a family yet. So I guess we're the ones that have to travel. Hold the phone. You have a family. You might not have children yet. So there might be a necessity that it's maybe a little bit more convenient for you to travel because you don't have children. But listen, if your family system which is just two people at this point. If your family system wants to stay home because you know maybe you just lost a pregnancy or maybe it's just too hard because everybody is gonna be there, has a baby, or maybe it's just too hard because you know that your sister who's been trying for like two months is gonna announce that she's pregnant and it's just too hard. I wish I would have listened to my own voice. And I hope you hear this as an encouragement and a permission slip to you too. I wish I would have listened to my own voice, honored my family of two, and stayed home. For Pete's sakes, that family matters as much as every other family. We didn't have to deal with nap times. Listen, we were there too. We went everywhere else because we should. We flew to California where I was from. We would spend it with his, his family. Luckily they lived close, they no longer do anymore because we moved, you know, eight hours away. But it's a lot easier to be the one to travel when you don't have to deal with like diaper bags and nap time and whatever. But that doesn't mean that you have to lose yourself in the decision-making process because you, as as two people, you're a family already. And we need to just stop and allow ourselves to honor that as a family and make decisions not only to listen to your voice as two individuals, but also who you are corporately. You know, one of my mentors in college, I looked up to her and just adored who she was. She was a little bit further down her her road of, you know, femininity and marriage and parenthood. I really just thought she hung the moon for some reason. I mean, she was a really great human. She probably still is a great human. We've lost touch. But she said, you know what? I wonder why I'm saying this, but it's so good. She said, she was telling us about her wedding and somebody asked a question of a unity candle. And she said, you know, I can't do a unity candle. If you did a unity candle at your marriage friends, don't be offended. But she was like, here's what I don't like about the unity candle. she said two families light an individual candle and then the couple comes together with these two individuals candles like representing who they were for however 26 years for us years before we got married and then they blow them out after they put them together as one essentially symbolically extinguishing every everything that they've done up into that point and I really love that symbolism. It goes a lot into what I, what I talk about a lot in terms of team marriage. If you hadn't, haven't heard that, maybe check out Peace and Fertility or one of my books. But this idea of team marriage says that, yes, we're one, but we're also two people individually. And so in an argument, in a decision-making process, in the creation of a boundary, in listening to my own voice, there are three voices that we also get to lo- listen to, right? In my example, there's Kathy individual, there's Tyler individual, and then there's Kathy Tyler in our relationship. So it might really work for one person to say like, you know what, honey, it is not necessary for both of us to go to this event, but one of us might actually need to. If your best voice is staying home from this event and it's not important to me, it's okay for our relationship that you stay home. That's self care. That's boundaries. That's listening to the voice of who you are individually. And even, you know, part of this is I wish I would have, you know, there's one event in particular that seems so pivotal in the pain that I experienced in the middle of my infertility. And I so badly wanted to stay home. Unfortunately, we should, quote unquote. And I did. And so many relationships were, for me became emotionally unsafe after that event. They no longer became people that I felt like I could trust. They're no longer people that I felt like I could rely on. And that's okay. Like, I'm not mad at them. I've done my healing around it. But I wish I would have listened to my own voice and stayed home. I wish that I would have said, you know what, honey? It's okay. You don't have to stay home with me. I honor the fact that you need to go there. But it feels like too much for me. Can you just go on your own? And he would have been like, yeah, sure. I'm totally going to miss you. This is going to be really lame. I'm going to go because I would have listened to my own voice and that would have kept me sane. It would have helped me with relationships. Isn't it so hard when the people who you think are the closest to you end up being the people in your story who hurt you the most? I know they were unintentional, but it just hurts so bad. And when you're down and you're broken and in your raw and in those spaces that just feel so malleable, one little grain of sand, grain of salt, like whatever you want to say, seems to ruin the entire thing. Like one little pebble rolling down the hill causes an avalanche. And it's just, it's so hard to recover from. I wish I would have listened to my own voice and I would have honored the two of us as a family. I would have allowed us boundaries. Okay. So what's the takeaway here? Sister friend, you are okay in experiencing whatever you need. You know, oh man, I wish I didn't have to do this. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to. This is going to be so painful, so I'm going. Why? Where does the should come from? If it's like, you know, something that you actually should, should, should do, because there are really big implications if you don't, do some work around it and see what you can do to maybe bookend it, maybe not stay there as long. I don't know what that is for you. Create the boundaries. Listen to your own voice. You know what you need in your story. You know what you need in your story. Listen to yourself there. Be okay there. Love yourself there. And also honor yourself as a family of two. You guys, I have a list of these already. I wish I could just keep talking. But but I just started listening to a podcast and it's an hour long. That takes me like an entire week to get through. So I'm trying to keep these short for you because I want you to hear these in snippets. Maybe you're on like a treadmill and all you can do is 25 minutes or a short commute or walking around the grocery store. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up for today. All right, everybody have a great week. Go out and thrive. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Thrive Infertility brought to you by the Quillet Institute. Don't forget to check us out online at thequilletinstitute.com or at the Quillet Institute on Instagram and Facebook. Have a great day.